Well, good morning on this uh, beautiful uh, Easter day. almost forgot what day it was then. That was embarrassing. I just want to give a quick notice. So if, if anyone here is, is not, wouldn't describe themselves as a Christian or, or have any faith, one of the things that Jesus did to everybody he met was to invite them to follow him. And it might not be obvious what that, what that means in terms of what it means to become a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. So there is a, there's a new course starting on Wednesday evenings at 8 o'clock um, here at Eastgate, starting April the 26th. So if you want to know more about that, there are some leaflets at the back over by the welcome table, or you can speak to me afterwards and I'll give you some more details. So should we talk about Easter? I need to manage my time. Because it goes faster when you're standing up than when you're sitting down. So... <laughs> You don't have to speak very often to learn that. So, so what, it'd be interesting to go around the room. We haven't got time and find out what Easter means to you. A number of you will, will um, have different perspectives. So I've just uh, got some quotes. So somebody called H.G. Wells, a very famous writer, says, I'm a historian, but I'm not a believer. But I must confess, as a historian, that the penniless preacher from Nazareth is a rock of... Or, a rock, Irrocably, the very center of history, Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in history. So that's someone who's not a Christian saying that. There's an actress called uh, Reba McIntyre said, Easter is very important to me. It's a second change. And we'll pick that up later in the message. There's an author called Robert Flatt. The resurrection gives my life meaning and direction and the opportunity to start over, no matter what my circumstances. Uh, Byron Pulsifer, if that's how you say his name, is a motivational speaker. says, Easter is a time to rejoice, be thankful, be assured that all is forgiven. And Gandhi, who needs no introduction, said, A man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Easter in a nutshell. So Easter celebrates the death and resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we're going to explore that over the next 20 minutes or so. Because I want to suggest to you it's probably the pivotal moment in human history. There's lots of other important God moments throughout human history. But what Jesus achieved on the cross and through his resurrection changes human history forever and was always part of God's plan I also want to just want to whet your appetite that at the end of this message there's going to be an opportunity to encounter God so I'm not just going to give you lots of information so you can sit down and go home have some chocolate (laughs) which you can obviously do but you can tell from the worship that God is after lovers He's after people to love and be loved by. And that's, that's why we're born and that's why we're alive. So, we're going to have a bit of a quiz now. So, do you want to go on to my first slide? Right, we're going to do, we have, to, to be fair, because I've got some eggs to give out, we're going to have to pretend we're at school, so you need to put your hand up if you know the answer. There's, <laughs> so that means you cannot shout it out. And I'm going to pick the first person. Just to make sure how many eggs I've got here. I'm going to have to stand back and look. So, who is this? Nice Mandela. Have an egg. Morgan Freeman. 
Very good. Very good. So how many, okay, another next question. How many years was he in prison? 27. Do you, can you, do you want to come and get your egg? I don't want to throw it. It might be a bit dodgy, a bit far. Someone here will care about health and safety. <laughs> but it won't be me. Okay, a bit more tricky now. Who knows what his, his, his African name is from his clan? And if you're a South African, you're not allowed to answer. <laughs> I don't think you were first. That'll do, that's close enough. Oh, last one. So, and when he became, this, this isn't too difficult, when he became head of state of South Africa, what was he the first person to be as head of state? You've got to put your hand up. <laughs> Black. I don't want to throw that because you've got children. <laughs> Brilliant. So, you may have heard of this man. Reverend Jesse, J- uh, Jesse James. That's a cowboy, isn't it? Re- <laughs> it's going to be a long morning. Reverend Jesse Jackson once described Nelson Mandela as a suffering servant. So many of you, if not all of you, will know the history. He's described on Wikipedia as an anti-apartheid revolutionary politician. and for fla- I should pick some smaller words when I preach. Philanthropist. <laughs> you're, put- you're putting me off. <laughs> Dearing me. Right, anyway, let's focus. So Nelson Mandela believed in a better world where there was freedom from racism. And the obvious statement is that he was willing to suffer to bring about that freedom. I think what sets him apart from many other people was his, his, not only his ability to forgive his oppressors, but to start a process of reconciliation in South Africa and to start to break down the legacy of apartheid. It's not finished. Without a massive move of God, it will take a number of generations to achieve that. But he truly suffered and then patiently and faithfully served his country to bring about the change he most desired. I would suggest to you that he's an archetype of Jesus in the way that he was a suffering servant. And we'll come on to that later. So we go on to my next slide. Easter egg time. Anybody? So hands up. Remember the rules. Anybody know who this is? Who this is? His wife. No. (laughs) <laughs> she, was, she was black <laughs> but it's a good guess there is no family connections gone brilliant do you want to come and get an egg who wants a free egg I think you should have an egg because you gave such a great answer <laughs> so Edith Cavell was a British nurse Okay, and she is celebrating for saving the lives of soldiers. So, it's a 50-50 chance now. What, hands up then. Was, this someone, was it in World War I or World War II that she saved soldiers? You've had to answer what the lady at the back. <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, come and get an egg. <laughs> but how many... So, next question is... There you go. I'm nearly there. How many soldiers did she save from death? And from being, not necessarily from death, but from being prisoners of war? 
You've got to put your hand up. Go on. More than one. More than one, yes. <laughs> right, I'm going to take three answers of the person the nearest. Go on. How many? 800. I can take one more. 40,000. It was 200, so you're the nearest. Okay. <laughs> So she, she treated, she was in, based in Belgium, and she, she treated wounded soldiers from both Britain and Germany. She managed to get or help a number of us escape. She, uh, she was caught, uh, found guilty, uh, sentenced to death, and, and killed by a German firing squad. So through her own initiation and personal cost, she became a saver of over 200 people. She once said, I can't stop why there are lives to be saved. At a trial, she was spoken to in French, but it was, it was conducted in German, but she made no attempt to defend herself. And her last... Sorry, I get emotional about people like this. So her last emotional recorded words were, I am glad to die for my country. Again, I would suggest to you that she is an archetype of Jesus Christ in the way that she saved people from a dangerous situation. Okay, the next one. I've lost my pen. I'm not going to throw my pen. So, you guys are really poor at putting up your hand. What's the answer? Yes. (laughs) And she can catch. Does anyone know his first name? And it's not Ashton. That's his second name, his middle name. Put your hand up. No, it's not a trick question. No. What's his first name? Ashton's his middle name. Anybody? Adam. Now, I'm going to get this Easter egg. It's Christopher, because I knew the answer. (laughs) No. Uh, change my audience next time. <laughs> okay, so you may know him. He is an actor and an investor. He played Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs in the, the film Jobs that came out in 2013. But in 2009, with his then wife, Demi Moore, he set up a charity that works to address um, anti-human trafficking and the sexual exploitation of children. And to help law enforcement uh, with um, reducing the amount of child pornography. His goal in life, and he made this pledge when um, the, he was expecting Hillary Clinton to become uh, the next, uh, um, I can't remember, what's the name? President? <laughs> I was thinking Prime Minister, it's not Prime Minister. But he, his goal in life is to eliminate child pornography from the internet. That's, that's a worthy cause, isn't it? So his organization and the charities that he works with have rescued thousands, I think up to 6,000 people from human trafficking and seen the arrest of over 2,000 uh, perpetrators or, and, and, and traffickers. Now, I've used the term behind me, the redeemer. Now, in our culture, 
we tend to use the, well, the most common word in terms of redemption tends to be around a loyalty program or loyalty points. So how many of you are part of a, some kind of loyalty points? It used to be shopping or petrol or travel. I work for a loyalty company. But you talk about redeeming your points so you pay something to gain something, don't you? Yeah, you give your points in exchange for something. And that's what a redeemer does. Is that you, is he taken people that were prisoners or slaves of the human trafficking trade and redeemed them to give them a life of freedom? So again, I would say to you that Ashton is an archetype of Jesus Christ in the way that he takes people that need to be freed from something and be rescued into something else. So if we go to our next slide. Let's talk about Jesus. I want to take these three archetypes and, and, and maybe introduce Jesus to you in a fresh way using, using those archetypes. I don't know if you've, you've seen this painting of Jesus before. I know it would be familiar to a number of you. It was painted by a girl called Akiana. When she was eight years old, she came from an uh, atheist family. And from four years old, started to have visions of Jesus. And from, if I've read the story correctly, they didn't have a TV, they didn't have many books. So there's no way that she could have seen any of these things. And um, what's very moving is I encountered Jesus by just looking at this picture, which is why it's behind me, because my preaching will go downhill if I look at this picture. But there was a very famous uh, story that was uh, put within a book called Heaven is for Real by a, a, a child called Colton who went to heaven during life-threatening operation and found out information about his family. He met relatives that are dead, that, that he'd never met before. Um, and when he came back from heaven, he started to talk to his parents about all these things that they'd never told him. It's quite a profound story. It was made into a film in 2014. But being good parents, whenever they saw a picture of Jesus, they would show it to their, their child and say, is this what Jesus looked like? And he would continually say no. But when he saw this one, and he didn't know anything about it. He said, that's, that's what Jesus looked like. It's quite, quite interesting. But, so there's that painting of Jesus. Just like, in a similar way to Mandela, believe in a better world, Jesus believes in a better, better world. But not just a world that was free from racism, but a world that is free from all sin, which is the things we do wrong, and all evil. That's what Jesus wants. He wants a world where there is not any evil or any sin at all. That's how he created the world. That's how it began. And Jesus was willing to suffer to bring about this freedom. Um, the term suffering servant can be found in the, in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah 53, and this is how the message translation puts it. So talking about Jesus, prophesying about Jesus. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered and knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. So, but the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he literally took every act and thought and motive that was wrong 
in every human being that ever lived and will ever live. Just need to let that settle in your, in your thoughts. If you think about every act of war, every act of terrorism, every murder, every rape, every sexual abuse, you know, smaller stuff like bullying that's probably affected a number of us, selfishness, and much, much more. Jesus took the penalty and the cost of all of it when he died on the cross. I don't know if you watched the news recently following the death of Martin McGuinness. Um, some will remember him as a terrorist. Others will remember him as a peacemaker. But what moved me most when they were interviewing people over that period was is, is the family members that had lost someone as a result of the IRA actions or they'd had a, a family member injured. Is these people struggled, or a number of them struggled, to recognize Martin McGuinness as a peacemaker because he wasn't ever going to stand trial for his crimes as a terrorist. And I'm not trying to be political, I'm just trying to use this as an analogy that it's really, really important to understand that we're wired and creation is wired, that when something is done wrong, it requires the just punishment. So if something happens to one of your children, you would want to see the person sent to prison and there to be justice. And that's right. That's the way we're all wired. So when it doesn't happen, when someone doesn't pay the penalty of their you know, their poor choices, their evil decisions. It's wrong, and it feels wrong because it is wrong. Do you get that? But the point about what Jesus did on the cross is even like an individual, like Martin McGuinness, would never pay for the consequences of what he did. Jesus took that on himself and everybody else's consequences. And why that is so, so, so significant is it's because that enables everyone in this room to forgive people that have hurt them. Because you can say, I want that person to, to pay for that, the consequences of what they've done to me. But even if they haven't, Jesus has. Because Jesus took that on himself out of choice. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there someone that you need to forgive? And because Jesus died on the cross, that means he makes forgiveness possible. So have a think about that today. Maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Let's go on to comparing Jesus to Edith Cavell and her acts. So when Jesus became the saviour of the world, that means that no human being has been left out. Isn't that good news? So every one of us here, everyone you know, Everyone on the planet you don't know, everyone who, is not yet, who has yet to be born has been counted in Jesus' saving act. And that means he no longer holds the record of your crime against you because he took it upon himself. So that means as a Christian, if you punish yourself for things that you do wrong or have done wrong, it's illogical and a waste of time. Because Jesus already died for that. 
because there is no one in history that stands there other than the devil to condemn you anymore because your crime has been paid for you're a free, free person for me that makes me live with confidence I can wake up every morning and think no one condemns me for anything I've done wrong or ever will this makes you fall in love with God even more Isaiah 53 puts it like this we're all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost we've all done our own thing gone our own way and God has piled all our sins everything we've done wrong on him see the thing we need to be rescued from is the fact that the root of sin we want to live independently from God that's the big issue that the human race needs more rescuing from than anything else there's something inside of us that says I can live my life without God I can make a better job of it which is quite funny thinking about us as a small human being in a planet of 7 billion I think we know everything and when we start to have those independent thoughts we then start to question the character of God about whether he's good we then start to think he's the one that's responsible for evil he's the one that wants to punish which is not true at all and it can even lead to us forgetting who we are and, that we're, and the fact that we're, we have value that sin is worse than anything else in terms of like a rape or a murder living independently from God because it disconnects the human race from its creator and it shuts up the blessing and the good that heaven can bring to the, to the human race and the main reason the world today and every generation has areas of life what it struggles with is simply because it shuts out its creator who has the solution to not only solve the problem but to turn it into good that's what the human race needs rescuing that's why that's the invitation to follow Jesus is actually to be rescued from the desire in you to live independently from God and what it means to follow Jesus is you decide that you'll follow a good, good father where you're, you're, you make yourself dependent on him and you go from independence to dependence let's go on to my last um, picking up Ashton or Christopher Ashton what about redemption because we've talked about haven't we how Jesus took upon all the sin he took, we, we talked about how he then can save us from our sin but the point about redemption is what does Jesus get in exchange for his suffering think back to the loyalty points you give you points to gain something redemption is an exchange you rescue someone from slavery so they get free what is it that Jesus gets in, in response to his suffering so again quoting from Isaiah 53 we thought he brought it upon himself that God was punishing him this is punishing Jesus for his own failures but it was our sins that did that to him that ripped and tore and crushed him our sins he took the punishment that made us whole through his bruises we are healed so he took the punishment that made us whole through his bruises we get healed so how does sin affect us i've already talked about it, it makes us independent but if we do things that are poor choices we can feel a failure we can feel dirty 
we can punish ourselves, I've already mentioned, and in another whole bunch of ways, but it will lead to some kind of emotional, physical, psychological, or spiritual brokenness in our life. And the whole point of the cross and the resurrection is that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just say, he doesn't just rub all that out and forget about it forever. He actually wants to bring healing into that brokenness. That is what Jesus gets for his suffering. In the same way that he took every evil human act to the cross, he took every sickness to the cross, every bit of damage, whether it is emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, to the cross. So when he rose from the dead, there is an answer in heaven for every bit of brokenness in everybody's life. That is some exchange, isn't it? I'm excited. I got you thinking, haven't I? You're all going to go quiet on me. You as a human being do not need to suffer with anything in your life. Because God has an answer. Maybe as a Christian, have you stopped believing that there's an answer? Because you might suffer for something for so long. But there is an answer for everything. Maybe some of you here have dabbled with the occult or visited a psychic. I find it interesting, Mary Magdalene, who was the first person that Jesus met after his resurrection, she'd open her life up to what we would now call the occult and psychic activity. It wasn't called that back in her day, in her culture. Typically, that leads to fear entering your life, disturbing thoughts and unexpected loss, relationally and financially, because that the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. Again, if you're here... And that's you. Jesus dealt with all those issues in Mary Magdalene. God can deal with them in you. There's no limit to his goodness and no limit to his power. Importantly as well, just it says in Galatians 3, in Christ's family there are no division, sorry, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. So the cross also levels the human race in the sense that it puts them all on the same level. There is no superiority based on race or gender. That, you know, so the fact that we can treat each other with value, with honor, and with equality flows out of the cross and resurrection. So no longer are man and women in competition. No longer, if I can pick on South Africa's history, black and white people are in competition anymore actually God unites them together you're not allowed to phone a friend (laughs) it's not that kind of quiz so I want to ask you as, as the people in the room do you know your true value before God do you know your true freedom before God do you know everything that God has for you and available to you this Easter. It's so easy to spiritualize an answer from God that's far away, or an answer tomorrow where tomorrow never comes. We're not, we're not before the cross, we live after the cross. So that means everything's been paid for, so you can forgive yourself for anything that you've done, you can forgive anybody for anything that's happened to you, that they've done to you, sorry, and you can be healed of any brokenness. And you can be utterly saved and feel whole 
and totally knowing that you belong to God, assured in his love. That's what the cross means. You want my last slide? So, I thought it would be good, especially for a visitor here, you might want to hear about what it's like to follow Jesus and, and, and to hear a testimony. So I'm going to ask my wife Fiona, who I can't see. She's over there at the back. So she's going to come and share her story about how she became a Christian. Right. I've got notes to keep me to time. Okay. As a child, I was brought up in a very nominal Catholic household. My parents' marriage was not a happy one. They would drink a lot and fight a lot. On Sunday, I was sent to church. My experience of church was that it was boring and lifeless. I remember reading a quotation in the church bulletin one week that read, If you don't come to church because you think it's full of hypocrites, don't worry, there's always room for one more. <laughs> oh dear, I thought, is this the best it gets? In my late teenage years, my parents began a long, bitter divorce battle. On a good day, they never spoke a word to each other. On a bad day, windows would be smashed. Home was at best unpredictable and at worst a scary place to be. I felt depressed and trapped and often thought about suicide, a thought process I struggled with for several years after that time. And as I was preparing for this this morning, I felt that there were people here today for whom that's an issue. Um, you may never set foot in a church before. You may have been a Christian for donkey's years. But when you are at your lowest point, there is a little voice that says to you, there's a way out of this. You can escape. And you struggle with suicide. And I feel like God today wants to meet with you in that and take that off the table as an option. I had a friend at Sixth Form College that I would often talk to and pour out my troubles to. She invited me to church. You must be kidding, I thought. That's the last thing I need. However, I ended up going with her just to find somewhere to go to on a Sunday morning to get away from two warring parents. I met people who were in real-life situations and struggles, but all who had something that I didn't. Hope peace, joy, and an unshakable faith that they had a loving, caring, heavenly father who was utterly trustworthy, all totally alien concepts to me. They talked about relationship, not religion. My very limited concept of God was that he was angry at me. All the bad things that had happened in my life were because he was punishing me for the bad stuff I had done and the stupid choices and mistakes I had made which despite being only 19 at the time, I had managed to rack up quite a few of those. I began to read all about Jesus in a copy of a New Testament that my friend gave me. I discovered that there is a God who isn't angry with me and that he loves me. And guess what? He likes me. I read that Jesus said, I have come to give them life and life in all its fullness. Wow, what did that even look like? What could that even look like? I went to church with my friend and we sang a song. Oh, let the son of God enfold you with his spirit and his love. Let him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. 
Give him all your tears and sadness. Give him all your years of pain. And you'll enter into life in Jesus' name. At that moment, God met with me in such a powerful way. I felt loved, accepted, forgiven, and like I could have a fresh start. His invitation for you today is the same. Sometime at a later date, I went to a church meeting. During the worship, I had a vision. And in this vision, I was an unborn child in my mother's womb. And I know that while I was pregnant, my mum was very, very ill. Um, She had a very serious infection, and the GP advised her to terminate the pregnancy so that her own life would not be at risk. And in this vision I had, the doctor was speaking to my mum. He was leaning across this big oak desk and telling her to have an abortion. At that moment, the door opened and Jesus walked into the GP's room. Jesus pointed at me and said, She shall live. In that encounter with Jesus, I was set free from all my struggles with suicidal thoughts, with rejection, failure, and feeling like I just wasn't good enough. His revelation to me was that my past did not define my future. That's true for each of you today. Over the last 20-something years of being a Christian, God has never let me down, never abandoned me, has saved my life on at least two occasions, one of which I've been told was medically impossible. He has shown me that he is patient, kind. He is not angry with me. He never reminds me of my past mistakes. I know freedom and joy and fullness of life. Today, he invites you to do the same. Brilliant. (laughs) So, does the band want to come back? That'd be great. She's taking my notes. I don't know what I'm going to say now. Um, It is a... There is a... There is a serious subject. The cross and the resurrection. Because it... It demands some serious thought and a serious response to what God has done. And I can, I can sense that you're, you're thinking deeply about the subject this morning, which is, which is good. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he started to seek out people. He didn't hide himself. And he met Mary Magdalene in the garden. And he called her name. It was only when he called her name that she knew who he was. And for a number of you today, Jesus wants to call your name. That's why we often prophesy to people and call out people's names, so that they know that God loves them, cares for them, and has got a future for them. So the invitation is during this song, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian and you want to encounter God, God is looking for people that he can love, that he can save, and that he can bring freedom and healing to. And if you've got any gaps in your life that need God, any areas of life that need healing or you need freedom from something, that invitation is there this morning. So during this song, we're only going to play one song. Um, and we will be praying for a bit because I know the children, the parents will have to go and pick the children in five minutes. But, so we'll be up here for a, for, for a bit. But if you want to come forward, just, just feel free to, to make your way forward and we'll pray for you. <laughs>